0: Thanks, uh, thanks, Tom, and thanks, Lorraine. If you're thinking that the readings today are a little bit of a mystery, don't worry, we're going to stitch, we're going to stitch them together, so hang with me. Uh, we're doing a, um, a series on the life of King David, and we're going to be looking at King David today, and we're going to be trying to draw a thread together with all of these uh, messages that you've just heard. Let me ask for God's help for you and for me. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this word preserved for us. Thank you for this account of David's life, a man who lived 3,000 years ago. We pray, Father, now that you might take this ancient word and make it live amongst us by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's an eclectic set of things that we've heard so far. Last week, we kind of finished on a bit of a cliffhanger. King David was really anointed as a shepherd boy. He was a shepherd boy, got called out, got anointed with oil, and we go, he's the new anointed, But then we had a bit of a hmm moment where we went, there's actually still an anointed in Israel and his name's Saul. And so the the cliffhanger was, what's going to happen when you've got two people who are anointed to be king over Israel? Uh, I thought of um, of this program. Have you guys seen Undercover Boss? Do you know what the idea of this is? Uh, So the idea is that the boss of a corporation, puts on a disguise, and goes and works among the people. So he's got all this power, but he acts like an ordinary, normal person. And uh, I think the, the idea is that it's supposed to be you can't tell that it's the CEO, although I think they've got some pretty um, average disguises. Uh, I thought that one was particularly tragic, you know? Can you pick that he's undercover uh, in, this, um, in this thing? Now today, what I want you to do is we've got three instances in David's life. And what we're going to try and do is we're going to be thinking, who is this David guy? People in each of these stories will be asking the question, who is David? And we're going to try and answer that question and hopefully draw some conclusions uh, from it as well. Uh, so David is kind of an undercover agent at some level. He, here he is, he's a shepherd who is the king-in-waiting in in Israel? What's going to happen around him? Well, we can pick up the story with one of the most famous stories of David. And it happens at this place called uh, Soko uh, here, which is kind of a little bit uh, here between um, the land of the Philistines here and the Israelites here. And today, that valley looks something like this. So that gives you a bit of an idea. The geography. So you've got two armies. One is on one hill Valley in between, second army on the other hill. Why do you camp on hills with a valley in between? Well, if we're not planning to fight just yet, it's quite helpful to be a little bit apart. Okay, So that's out of the range. They had no artillery or anything like that. Okay, So that was out of range. So we could look at each other, and then out would come somebody. In fact, he's the only person that, apart from Bathsheba, we would naturally associate with David. So David and who? Goliath. David and Goliath is who we're talking about. If we come in my little timeline here, our second sermon will slot in about here. How old's David? Somewhere older than 15, younger than 20. Okay, somewhere in that sort of range. Uh, we're about 1025 BC, so a long time ago. And what we're going to do today is we're going to go from about chapter uh, 16 all the way through up to chapter 25. So we're going to try and cover quite a lot of David's life. Uh, probably about about 15 years uh, of his life. So here's this guy. I was thinking, what's the illustration for David and Goliath? Well, it's funny. There is no illustration for David and Goliath. David and Goliath is the illustration that you use for everything else. It can be an NRL game that's mismatched. It's a David and Goliath battle, or it could be a family business against a big corporation. Whatever it is, how's it described? David and Goliath battle. So when I go, what's the illustration for David and Goliath? There is no illustration for David and Goliath. David and Goliath is the illustration. So let's have a look. Let's slow down and have a look at this story. Come with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to read uh, verses 4 to 11. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 4 to 11. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. And you all go, oh, yeah, sure, I'm familiar with the cubits and span. No, you're not. It's about nine feet, nine inches. And uh, someone pointed out today uh, that's roughly that sort of height. He's a big lad. I think you'd agree. Uh, He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Familiar with the shekel? Not so much. About 58 kilos. On his legs he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, about 7 kilos. And his shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, I want to shout like Goliath, okay, so just, you know, bear with me. No, I won't. But, but I, I kind of, it's, it's such a thing, isn't it? I, he's got such a big voice. I obviously don't have the frame for this, right, okay? But why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your servants. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Okay, first thing to note, the man is seriously massive. He is genuinely huge. And what they've set up is army, army, army. Tell you what, let's not all fight. Let's have some representatives fight and let the outcome of this fight kind of work for everyone, which is okay, but a little bit terrifying, because if you lose, you become enslaved to the other guys. Now, notice how he goes about it. He's insulting Israel and implicitly Israel's God. He's saying, I come against you, and the outcome is he's threatening to enslave the people. Well, it would be a fair fight, except for the fact that he's nine foot tall and has 60 kilos of armour on him. So what do they do? People head for the exits. Okay, they really are. They just run for it. There is visceral fear in the camp of Israel. They are just out of here. They're terrified. I I noticed that Saul tries to get somebody to fight him. He says, I've got some incentives for you. Here's my incentive plan. Sure, he's a big bloke, but I've got an incentive plan for you. I'll give my wife to you. Sorry? Sorry? Daughter, sorry, my daughter, yes, for your wife. Thank you, Russ. So helpful when people speak up and catch me in my foolishness. Excellent. Thank you. I'll give my daughter for your wife. Yes, although you've already got one, Russ, so don't don't compete. (laughs) Daughter for your wife. That's a pretty good deal. You can marry into the king's family. Fantastic. And if that's not a big enough incentive, don't worry, we've got an extra offer today lifetime tax free. Mm -hmm. Now, I can see some of your little eyes sparking up at that point and thinking, good gracious me, I'm in. Uh, let's do this thing, no one came forward except for David and when he turns up, he's extremely unlikely, he's not the guy you would pick, they tried Saul's armour on him and he can't even walk around, it's so heavy, he's a little bloke and they're going, you want to take on monster man out there, I don't think this is very likely, well David has an answer for that, do you remember this sign from last week, what was the sign? Don't poke the bear, very good, okay. Don't poke the bear. I want you to know, David poked a bear. In fact, he did much more than that. Have a look with me at what it says in uh, chapter 17, verses 34 to 37. David says, said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? He says, actually, I've got a bit of a track record in this kind of monster mismatch. Okay, I've got some history and so what he says is, God's past faithfulness, what God has shown me in the past, gives me current, present faith. So God's past faithfulness gives me present faith. I have faced insurmountable obstacles in the past, God's been good. He is an insurmountable out, uh, obstacle in the present, God will be good because he's the same. Do you see how that works? And guys, this is a little bit about learning about faith, Okay. In our prayer life, you might start off with something small, but you build on it the next time you pray and the next time until you find yourself able to ask God for the incredible, for the impossible, because he has shown himself faithful in the past. you see that? There's a beautiful principle at work here. And, and uh, nonetheless, so he convinces Saul, but he goes wandering out, and in verse 43, we see what, uh, what Goliath thinks of him. He said to David, Am I a dog? You'd love to have a big voice with Am I a dog? That you come out with me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. You know, like he's looking, hey, little weedy shepherd boy, I got this. What are you doing? Your whole army here have sent the little guy to get crushed by me. Fair enough. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna destroy him. Okay? And he insults and scoffs at David. And then David has this kind of uh, brave heart moment. Do you guys know brave heart? Okay, I want you to put him on the horse with the sword and stand in front of the armies. It's one of those great speeches, okay? And again, I'm getting a bit carried away today, but bear with me, bear with me. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, The Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Yeah, that's right. That's, That's beautiful. 8.45 was not up for that. They said, we fought our battle to get here at 8.45. (laughs) But you guys are ready to go into battle with me, aren't you? Okay, so so that's David. And and here he is. He's standing there and he's saying, I'm coming back at you. What with? With God's strength. For whose glory? For God's glory. He says, I'm coming at you with God's strength for God's glory, and it doesn't matter how big I am because God and me is a majority. God plus me is a majority. We are going to overcome. I I think that's just tremendously exciting. And, And I want to say to you to think about who's on your side. Think about who's on your side. And David has a victory, famously, doesn't he? He has a famous victory. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone, love the details, the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Now, I don't know whether the stone killed him or not, but the sword separating his head from his shoulders probably did. So he cut his head off. Okay, so that happened. And that was obviously a pretty traumatic event for the Philistines. The men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout, and, the, and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharon Road to Gath and Ekron. In other words, they went from being totally intimidated to seeing this victory and then charging forward, and they win the day. And so Goliath had asked, who is this, who is this one who's coming out to me? Am I a dog that you send this boy out to fight me? Who is David? And the answer is, David is anointed. David is empowered by the Holy Spirit. David is the king in waiting. And I think we forget this when we get to the David story. We just think he's a shepherd boy on a brave day. I think David is aware. I'm the chosen king of Israel and the armies of Israel are being made full of today. The sitting king of Israel won't do anything about it. Who will walk into the battle? I will. I'm anointed. I'm empowered. I have God on my side. Do do you see? And so he walks into the battle in a different way than I think we normally think. And we were having a discussion at Life Group, and and I have to give credit to my Life Group for this. We're talking about who are we in the narrative. And typically when we preach Goliath, we'll say, okay, all right, who are the Goliaths in your life, right? Who are we in the story? And so we naturally pitch ourselves to be who? David. And we had a great night. I want you to know you're not the hero in this story. You are not the hero in this story. You aren't the king in waiting. You aren't the Messiah striding onto the battle. I think the much better person, who are we in the in the story? We are the soldiers on the hill hiding for fear of the enemy watching our great Messiah go out and beat the unbeatable enemy. Who's that? Who's the one who beats our enemy, our corporate enemy? Who is the one who had us afraid, who threatened to enslave us? It's Satan and Jesus, isn't it? Who are we in the story? We are watching Jesus go to fight. Now, that gives me so much more hope. Because I see in Jesus the one who overcomes the enemy who is terrifying. Praise God. We're going to have a look at one of these other stories uh, that was read for us. And I want to start in a locker room. As um, a cricket, it, for those of you who don't know that people wear white stuff and play a game, this is called cricket. And, um, and this is back when we used to win. Who knew? Okay, before that other bad thing happened, we're not going to talk about Don't Mention the War. Okay, all right, so imagine that you've won. Okay, what happens when you win in the locker room? You sing a song and you pour alcohol on one another or whatever you do in the room, okay? But you sing a song, you sing a victory song. And in the best case scenario, when you win, the microphone goes into the mouth of the captain to say, hey, captain, what happened? Wasn't it great? Didn't your team do great? But if it's a little bit messed up and someone had a truly outstanding game, what will often happen is the microphone will first and foremost go in the mouth of the best player in the team, the person who won the day. And the songs and the accolades will go to the best player and not to the captain. And that's kind of what we see here in 1 Samuel 18. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 18 and verses 6 to 8. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang. Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? Do you see his problem? He's the king. He's the head of the armies of Israel. And now the women are singing a victory song that's all about, yeah, the king, the king did okay, but David. And so what's his response? It's absolutely jealousy. He's overcome. And that problem, the energy that will drive the whole rest of the narrative of David and Saul comes from this song. Saul will be intimidated, worried, afraid, jealous of David from this time on. It all comes from a song. Now, I don't think you can sing the song. It's not particularly a memorable ditty for us. But it was life-changing for Saul and for David. You know, David was into songs. Uh, He wrote 75 of the 150 Psalms in the Book of Psalms. And he was actually in Saul's court playing songs when this next thing happened. And every time I read it, I think of this. Does anyone know what what this is? Butterfly collection, yeah? How do you mount your butterflies? Great, good. You're on it? They are displayed. Keep that in mind as we read this next little bit here, what happens. Let's have a look at verses 9 to 11. And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcibly on Saul, He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. What did he want to do? Pin the pretty boy to the wall, I think. The most intriguing part for me is that he did it twice, right? How is David still in the room after the first one? Anyway, that's just me. I, I love the details. What does he notice? He notices a spiritual change. Saul recognized in himself that something different had happened. Now there's an evil spirit. Instead of the Holy Spirit, now there's an evil spirit afflicting him. And what does that mean for his relationship with David? Well, it starts to get physical. What does he decide to do? Not just that I'm jealous, I'll kill you. It's a terrible outcome, isn't it, for David? And so who is David? Well, in this situation, he's uniquely pitched as the guy who isn't yet the king but is in the king's household. It's intriguing because we keep on wondering, how does he become king? And undeniably, he is the subject of jealousy in the, rest of the narr- in the rest of the narrative. Who is David? The king in waiting. And it's going to be a big, big problem for Saul. So we're going to get to chapter 25, and to do that, I need to do a little bit of a time Moment, yeah, okay. We need to go through time quickly to get to chapter twenty-five. That, you don't, yeah, uh, we see that Saul starts chasing David in chapter nineteen. We see he makes a covenant with uh, with Saul's son Jonathan. So, Jonathan and David they just end up being best mates, which is super awkward, right? Oh, my dad's the king, and you're the next king, but we really get on well. And David says, look, I'm so much your friend. Let's covenant together. Let's commit to look out for one another. And it's a really key moment um, in this story. And we'll come back to it a little bit later on uh, in the series. We then see that uh, David actually runs away even to the Philistines and uh, pretends to be crazy so he's not killed. And we find something that we're going to come back to next week. He spares Saul's life. Essentially, he's an outlaw and he's living with a bunch of, um, oh, it's got his own little army. That's how we get to chapter 25. He has his own little army. We meet two people in chapter 25. One of them's rich and one of them's smart. Uh, someone said to me this morning, this doesn't quite work out for me. So, um, <laughs> so uh, does anyone know who that lady is? It's Melinda Gates. Do you know Melinda Gates? incredibly smart woman, uh, wife to Bill Gates, uh, who is doing a whole bunch of philanthropic work around the world. She's an incredibly uh, smart, wise woman. Okay, so now we've got our people. One of them's rich, one of them's smart. Okay, let's find out what happens uh, in, this, in this story, in the, in the first two verses here in chapter 25. So Fifth over chapter 25, we, we have them introduced to us. A certain man in, in uh, Mayon who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was a surly and mean man in his dealings. He was a Calebite. And there's a wonderful way to be memorialized for all eternity, isn't it? He was surly and mean, but she was intelligent and beautiful. I love that. Absolutely love it. And now David is basically living off the land and there are no 7-Elevens in um, the wilderness in Israel. Can't just say, hey lads, just duck down to the uh, 7-Eleven, grab us a couple of burgers and a Coke and we'll be fine. So how does David live with an army of 600 men? Well, basically he depends on the goodwill of the people in the area. And so what he does is he knows that it's shearing time and he sends 10 of his men to go and have a chat with this bloke Nabal. Say to him, long life to you. Shalom, essentially. Good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now, I hear that it's shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they're at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own service, and they'll tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards, me, towards my men. Since we come at a festive time, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. David's essentially saying, in the desert, our blokes looked after your blokes. They made sure no robbers took advantage of them. We've done well by you. It's party time, okay? Can you give us whatever you feel free to give us? That'd be lovely. Well, Nabal is uh, not a very wise man. <laughs> He's not a very wise man, okay? And Nabal comes up with a response. Nabal answered David's servants, "'Who is this David? "'Who is this son of Jesse?' Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I've slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Essentially, he just does the big, huh? I don't know. Who's David? You know what the problem with that is? It's a man who's so rich, so rich, he thinks he can send back to David a message that says, I don't know who you are. You're just some bloke. But do you remember where we started? back with the song. Do you remember the song? David's so famous. David's song is so powerful that the king tries to kill him. Who is this son of Jesse? He's the victor over Goliath. There wouldn't be anyone in Israel who can't hum the ditty. And so when he says, who is this son of Jesse? Go back home and they're not giving you anything. He's absolutely, uh, he's absolutely insulting the king to come, and it won't stand with David. There's a a saying that says, I don't know if you've heard it, the saying that says, when all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Have you heard this before? When all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Now, that's exactly what happens for David. Have a look at verse 13. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. What sort of man's David? He's a military machine. He is living with a bunch of soldiers in the desert, and they're hungry. He's just been beating everyone everywhere. And so what happens is, someone insults him, and he thinks to himself, well, what's the next thing I do? Get the choppers spinning up, boys. We're going to go on a little raid. We're going to sort this out. Strap your swords on. When all you have is a hammer, I'm saying for David, he's got so used to being the military man, that the only response to an insult is strap on your swords. Let's go deal with this stuff, yeah? And we see an appalling disaster is headed off by a brilliant woman. By a brilliant woman. Have a look at her initiative. She's told by a servant, hey, did you know that um, some, some people from David came and talked to your ma." to your husband, and told him, hey, could you spare something? And he insulted them and sent them home. And she goes, whoa, this is not okay. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sears of roasted grain. Sounds like a partridge, doesn't it? A partridge in a pear tree. A hundred cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Two things from this really quickly. Number one, they were available. They were in the house, weren't they? You can't just rustle them up in a second so they were available and Nabal was withholding them from David's men. Yeah? So she goes, look, saddle up the donkeys. We're going to get this stuff out there. Head head out to these guys. And then she sends the the food train up the road and she follows along behind it. And when she meets David, she has this incredible uh, discussion with him. And she says to him twice, I know about the future for you. See, Nabal claimed he didn't know David. But Nabal didn't know, didn't acknowledge the future of David. Abigail goes straight to it. When the Lord has fulfilled his word to you, do you see? She knows there's something about David and his future that is actually public knowledge. But she says, When the Lord sets you up, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed, or having avenged himself. And when the Lord, your God, has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. What she says is, I know God has good plans for you, and I want to stop you doing something you're going to regret. Don't do it. Now, that is bold. She is a single woman. She's got her five maids with her, but a woman facing an army of hungry men, 400 of them with their swords drawn, and she stops them in their tracks with her grace and her wisdom and her gentleness. It's a beautiful story. And David honors her immediately. David says to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Whoa. Now, Nabal is having a feast with his mates. He's too drunk for her to speak to him that night. In the morning, when he's sobered up, she has a quiet word to him. She says, did you know that you insulted this bloke? He was actually coming to kill you. I, I took care of it, but don't worry. He hears what happened and he has a heart attack. And a week later, he's dead. He literally dies of fright for his stupidity. Abigail embodies wisdom. And I couldn't, it was just amazing. I found this set of proverbs that just basically tell the story. Have a look at how beautiful Abigail's work is. So whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Who is the needy? David and his men. The next verse says, wisdom reposes in the heart of the discerning. And even among fools, she lets herself be known. Do you know what Nabal's name was? Nabal, do you know what it meant? Fools. Who lets wisdom be known? She. How beautiful. It's Abigail, right? A king delights in a wise servant, but a shameful servant arouses his fury. A shameful servant? They're all going to be servants of David eventually. (laughs) David is absolutely furious at Nabal. But then you see this wonderful thing. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. What did she do? She intervened with beauty and grace and wisdom. Well, what can we learn? What can we learn from this? Number one, we have a Messiah, and he went out and won the unwinnable victory on our behalf. Praise God. Number two, David enjoyed the favor of God, and it was part of the reason that Saul didn't like him. We can live in the favor of God, and I would love you to know that. But in order to do so, we need God's wisdom. We need to be people of God's word that we might know and act in his wisdom. Who's David? It's a question we started with, isn't it? David is the deliverer of Israel. David is the anointed one. And I want you to see, David's profoundly human. He went out to do something that was foolish and was stopped by a wise woman. Let me pray for us that we might be ones who follow our true king, who has won the battle for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our beautiful King Jesus. We thank you, Father, that he overcame our enemy and that he will lead us in a life that is pleasing to you if we'll pursue your heart. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.